Hey there, and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name's Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have the phenomenal opportunity to have with us today on the podcast, Mike Bonham. And he wrote a book called Leading from the Second Chair. It's a book my coach, uh, Boyd Powers, recommended and one that him and I have been going through together. And just an insightful book that's challenged me just what it means to be leading from the second chair, um, the ideas of what are the characteristics of an ideal second chair leader, um, the realities that there could be more than uh, one second chair leader in an organization. Uh, just fascinating, fascinating insights on this idea of being a second chair leader, the the realities of balancing some of the, the apparent paradoxes of, of contentment versus dreaming, the idea of, of balancing deep and wide, and a leader as also a subordinate. What what do those look like? And um, just really appreciate Mike and his wisdom and his insight. Yeah, he just, I love the interview because he continues to go back to the definition that they provide of what a second chair leader is, and then bases his answers off that. So from a podcast host uh, idea, that was that was phenomenal, and then he also talks about the role that ego, that ego can play um, in a relationship between a first and second chair leader, and why that chemistry is is vitally important between a first and second chair, and how the environment they create um, a lot of it hinges on that uh, that relationship and that chemistry. So, really appreciated, Mike. Continue to send in your questions for Back Channel with Foth. That's where we sit down with Dick Foth and go over listener um, sending questions. We curate those. And uh, just an always a, a great time to sit down with Dick and learn from him. And, uh, well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to have a new friend on the podcast with us today, Mike Bonham. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thanks a lot, Aaron. I'm glad to be here. Mike, it's so exciting to, to have you on. Uh, my coach, Boyd Powers, recommended your book, and we've been working through it together. And um, I was challenged by it so much, I thought, well, it'd be great to have you on the podcast. So for those who have not read the book and maybe don't have not done the research on who you are, like I have um, in the process, could you just share a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, so I have um, had a career in business and uh, been had a call to ministry and served for uh, about for over a decade as an executive pastor of a church in Houston, Texas. And during that time, also began doing some speaking and consulting and writing. And uh, the book "Leading from the Second Chair," as well as a couple of other books, came out of that season of my life. And and now I work full time as a, a coach and consultant, helping churches and faith-based ministries and leaders in those sorts of organizations be uh, living to their God-given potential. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. So the idea of leading from the second chair, can you share what that is, where you, the desire to write the book and yeah, just kind of frame it for us. Sure. So uh, my co-author Roger Patterson and I, uh, it was really Roger's idea originally, uh, but we recognized that so many of the leadership books that are on the market, whether you're talking about secular leadership or church leadership are either explicitly written with the the first chair in mind, or at least have that kind of implicit underpinning. And uh, we really felt like there was a deep need for uh, some sort of leadership uh, content that would speak to people who were not in that first chair role. And so we really tried to address some some issues and challenges and, and opportunities that are unique to people when they're not sitting in the top chair. 
So how would you describe first chair, second chair? Does that look different uh, depending on an organization or the church? But yeah, could you just share in in your your perception what the difference are between the two? And yeah, just kind of frame that for us. Yeah, so, so the definition that we give in the book of a second chair leader is a person in a subordinate role whose influence with others adds value throughout the organization. Okay. Uh, and so we were real intentional in that definition, Aaron, to, uh, to not attach it to a particular title. Like I was an executive pastor, but we didn't want this to be a book just about executive pastors. Uh, we didn't want it to be just about a, a position, a hierarchical position on an organization chart but really to be more of the, the mindset uh, and the influence that that person in the second chair role would have. And so, you know, a lot of different people can be a second chair leader if they're taking that organization-wide perspective. Uh, and and to, to round out your question, you know, first chair is the person who sits at the, does sit at the top of the organizational hierarchy. And that could be, um, you know, in, in kind of corporate language, might not be the very top of the hierarchy. It could be, you know, in, in a say a regional judicatory body. It could be, you know, the person, whether that's title as bishop or otherwise, that sits in that role. Uh, and I've had people say to me, well, you know, you say person in a subordinate role, but senior pastors are in a subordinate role to their elder board or or whatever terminology they might use in their local church context. And of course, you know, all leaders are subordinate to God. And yes, I get that. Uh, one of the distinctions that I make is, when I talk about first chair versus second chair is um, the first chair leader generally doesn't have anybody that's in the office or, or kind of in their immediate environment that is giving them supervisory oversight of any sort, right? So, yeah. I mean, the, the board the board gives oversight, but, you know, they meet once a month or once a quarter. Sure. Um, so... So that's one of the real distinctions, whereas the, the person in the second chair role, you know, if you say, well, who do you report to or who's your boss? They, they sure. can immediately name that person. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Makes makes it makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. So the when you think of the, the maybe the ideal second chair leader and you talked about mindset, too, what are some of the characteristics you come to mind in, in that mindset part of it? Yeah, one is just tying back into that definition that they add value throughout the organization. They're really able to see the big picture. Uh, one of, in my mind, one of the distinctions between a second chair leader, the way we think about it, and other very capable leaders is some leaders really kind of have that tunnel vision. They focus on their specific ministry area. Uh, second chair leaders may have some specific ministry responsibilities, but they see the big picture. They see how yeah. what they're doing contributes to that. And they may even be willing to make some sacrifices in their specific areas of responsibility because that's what's necessary and what's right for the bigger picture. So seeing the bigger picture is one. Uh, humility is a hugely important characteristic mm. for people in the second chair role because the credit often does not flow to the people in the second chair role. And so the person who uh, does a lot of work, but then doesn't get a lot of credit for it, and then chafes at that, uh, is going to have a hard time thriving in the second chair role long term. So humility is, is essential. And then one other characteristic I would call out uh, is a results orientation. The, um, and this is not always true for second chair leaders, but Many of the, the people that I've interacted with in second chair roles 
they're, a big part of their job is to take dreams that, that the first chair or the organization collectively may have uh, discerned as being where God is leading them, and then to turn that into some some executable steps, some things that are going to get results and move the organization forward. And so that ability, that results orientation is important if that's the kind of second chair role that a person is in. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Mike, so are those characteristics, are those things that can be cultivated? Um, you talked about seeing the big picture. You talked about the humility. Um, are those things that we can cu- cultivate that, or is that something uh, someone naturally has? Yeah. Any thoughts on that? I would say yes, yes to both. I mean, I, okay. I think some people are naturally better at seeing the big picture and naturally more results oriented. Yeah. Uh, some people either because of their wiring or because of, of how God has been at work in their lives have really learned to practice humility. I think other people have to work at it, but, but I think for all of those, they can be cultivated. Um, you know, the, the person who's just really good at execution might always be a little bit better than the person who that's not their natural gifting, but they have to work at it. But, but you can definitely cultivate all of those. Good, good deal. Good deal. Well, you know, when we, we talk about those characteristics, some people might start ruling themselves out. Well, that's not me. That's not me. That's not me. But what I hear you saying and, and what I was challenged in the book was the realities that um, these are things, if we turn them over to God, and um, that's the position that we find ourselves in, that he can work in our hearts and lives and help us develop some of those some of those things maybe that, that don't necessarily come come natural to us. Yeah, um, no, I, yeah. I, I mean, you think about it, if 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 uh, humility, the way I described it, not getting credit sometimes sure. for the hard work you've done, right? If if that is a struggle that you're having in the second chair, how do you talk to God about that? Uh, mm. You know, and, and 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 really release and say, God, ultimately, this is your work, and it's not really about my glory or about the first chair's glory. It's it needs to be for your glory. Uh, I mean, that's very much a spiritual discipline. Or seeing the big picture, you, you know, you think someone may think. Gosh, I just don't do that well at all. Um, but you can cultivate a curiosity. You can cultivate mm, a curiosity that says, I wonder what the, you know, I wonder what my first chair is thinking. I wonder why they made that particular decision that doesn't make sense to me. Um, and in, in that curiosity, you start to see different perspectives that help you to see the big picture. So yeah, that definitely can, with time can be cultivated. For sure. No, I appreciate that. Um, you talk, one of those things was you talked about some paradoxes and the paradox of being a leader, um, and at the same time a subordinate. And, um, it does, there does seem to be a tension point there. Um, can you just, yeah, give us some wisdom and insight when it comes to that, that tension point or that paradox? Yeah. And and let me just back up and say, we call them paradoxes, but then we also say really they're apparent paradoxes, Hmm. uh, because, you know, a, a paradox, it, it, in essence, is these two things can't be sure. can't be put together. Sure. And ultimately, what we argue using language uh, from Jim Collins yeah. is that the very best second chair leaders are going to discover the genius of the end. They're going to find the both end of the paradox. They're going to be a mm. leader and a subordinate. That's and so good. that particular paradox um, recognizes that uh, the what what your church or what your ministry, your mission organization needs from people in second chair roles is for them to use their leadership gifts to, um, and I really like a definition that comes from Warren Bennis. It says that 
managers do things right. Leaders do the right things. Hmm. Um, meaning that managers kind of can, can follow directions well. They can dot I's and cross T's, follow the procedures. But leaders are asking, why do we even need these procedures? What's really the right thing for us to do right now? Uh, and that's, that's incredibly important for organizations, uh, particularly in, in this, for ministry organizations in this time, uh, to, to continually to ask, what is the right thing for us to be doing right now? Second shares need to do that. But sometimes when we're doing that, we find ourselves bumping up against different ideas that the first share leader may have. Uh, and so the, the, the tension comes in and trying to, to discover the genius of the end is, how can I be, how can I be a subordinate, recognize that the first share still gets to make the final decision? Uh, and yes, use the leadership gifts that God has given me. And, and there, that one really does play out often as a relational tension, uh, yeah. that, and, and so one of the, we talked, you, you used the word cultivate a couple of minutes ago. One of the most important things for any second chair leader to do is to cultivate a deep trust based relationship with the person in the first chair role. Hmm. Um, because when that tension flares up, when, uh, when you feel like you've had a great idea, and then, then the first chair said no to it. Or when you got a little bit ahead of your first chair, you running with a great idea. And then your first chair came back and said, Hey, you got ahead of me on this one, you know, and, and kind of gently slaps you on the wrist. Uh, the, the trust and the depth of the relationship is what keeps things from falling apart in those moments. Yeah. So, so the chemistry then will be also there's trust and then the chemistry. So relationship between the first chair, second chair leader, what I hear you say, that's, that's vitally important for the, the success or the environment surrounding is, would that be, would that be great? I mean, a good, yeah, idea. that's exactly right. Yeah. And, and so chemistry means a couple of different things to me. I mean, it, it, it does have trust embedded in it. It does have how we relate to each other, but really good chemistry for between first and second chair usually means that they have very different gifts that are complementary for each other. Interesting. Uh, but it, but that in and of itself can be a friction point. I was just with a, a senior pastor last week who said, I realized that the previous person that I had in the second chair role was too much like me. And I need to, I really need, now that I'm searching for the next person to fill that role, I need to be looking for someone who brings very different gifts than me so that we can be complementary with each other which I agree with a hundred percent. And I also know that that can be a bit of a flashpoint relationally. <laughs> ah, for sure. So then, then that would, you know, give the idea that there would have to be maturity in the relationship to recognize that, that there's going to be some flashpoints as you call, there's going to be some friction, but we're committed to work through it. And would that, would that be a, an accurate assumption also? Yeah, that's very accurate. I've, I've, told many uh, folks that are starting in second chair roles or relatively new in second chair roles that they should expect it to take um, three years before they really feel settled into their role. And I usually get kind of big eyes and raised eyebrows when I say something (laughs) like that. Like, Oh, wow. What, you know, and, and here's why. Uh, So let me, let me kind of talk um, local church context first. Um, you bring in, say, a new youth minister or youth director into a local church role, and they already had experience in a, in a previous smaller church. They step into this role. 
And sure, it's going to take them some time to get to know the kids and to get to know the volunteers and, and to start to understand the culture. Um, but it, if they're competent and if they had some prior experience in, the, in, a youth, in youth ministry, six months and they're probably rolling along pretty well. And by the one year mark, they've been through a whole calendar cycle and, yeah. you know, and they should be really starting to, to feel well settled into the role. So what's the difference between that? kind of six months to one year and uh, an executive pastor or other kinds of second share roles where it might take three years or more. It's the relationship. It's the, mm. um, when do I really have autonomy to step out and do this? When can I uh, uh, stretch into this area and, and make something happen? When do I need to check with the first chair? You know, there's, there are just a million different nuances in what you can and can't do, how you or shouldn't say something, when you should ask for permission, when you shouldn't, when you're bugging your first chair with too much information and all just you know take care of the problem, uh, and and so it's a it it's, it really is a dance and it takes some time to learn how to dance together. Wow, that that's a lot there, and I could take us ten different ways, but I, I won't do that to you and put you on the spot. So anyway, it just uh, it sparked a lot of a lot of thoughts in my mind. Um, so you talked, we, you talked a little bit about the influence. What does influencing look like in a second chair? And then I got a follow-up question about influence and differentiating influence and manipulation and, and information and hope withholding and that kind of stuff. So yeah, uh, what, okay. yeah. what does it look like? What does influence like from a, from a second chair? Well, so we talked earlier about seeing the big picture and having a results orientation. And I think that influence starts with seeing what it's going to take to get something, to get things done, to accomplish a, uh, a goal or a major initiative. And then it's not doing it by yourself, but it's also not giving kind of directives or commands from on high because, you know, the first chair <laughs> may be able to do that, but, but when, when second chairs, often when second chairs try to give those directives or those commands, somebody kind of looks at them and says, what th- do you have? Or, or is this actually an order that's coming from the boss, right? Yeah, that's uh, good. And, and so influence is much more in the second chair about those relationships where um, they, you're not saying go and do this, but you're collaborating together and saying, hey, this this is what we said our overall vision is. Let's figure out what the best way to move towards that is. And sometimes you're whispering in someone's ear and letting it be their idea. Uh, sometimes you're just collaborating with them. Uh, but but it's not it's not from a posture of you know I'm going to go and tell you what to do. That's good. That's good. I laughed about the uh, the, the example you said there. It's uh, it's so much so so true. The idea so. So you're in the second chair and you have information that would be valuable for the first chair to know. Um, how how does that influence you not end up using information and in, in that as a weapon or as to manipulate? Does that make sense? Because I've been in I've been in situations where people that were in second chair and they would withhold information because they could use it. You know, they would use it as a power play or they would use it and then they would give it to the, the first chair when it was to the second chair's benefit or whatever. Is there maybe this is my life experience. Have you ever seen that or any wisdom on how? you can maintain a healthy relationship when it comes to influence where it's not manipulative? Well, two thoughts about that, uh, Aaron. One is uh, I would say it's, it's never appropriate to withhold information 
simply out of a desire for power or to you know manipulate an outcome. Sure. Uh, now, there are all sorts of situations where second chair leaders don't need to share information with the first chair. I mean, the, so part of that that dance it takes three yeah. years is figuring out well what information does my first chair want and need to have, and okay. what do they not want to be bogged down with. Sure. Uh, but but once if you know that it's information that they want or that they need, then it should never be withheld. Period. Hmm. Um, so, so I, I've seen people withhold for intentionally. I've also seen people unintentionally not share information just because they didn't think that the first year needed it. And then either one can create tension, but one has a much, uh, more negative connotation to it, right? I mean, <laughs> for ul- ulterior motive. Yeah, um, no, for sure. I think the other things that second chairs have to be careful of related to influence is, uh, you know, uh, there sometimes the second chair has been in the organization for longer, has deeper connections uh, with people. With, so in a local church context, that might be with volunteers or staff. In a mission organization context, that might sure. be with other colleagues or staff or, sure. or, you know, people you're working with in the mission field. Um, and, you know, you, you can use that influence in a real political way to try to, uh, so let's say, uh First year is not real excited about an idea that you have. And so then you use your influence to get a bunch of other people to put pressure on the first chair to mm. accept your idea. Mm. That's skating on pretty thin ice. And if you go back to the idea that the best first and the best relationships between first and second chair are trust based, they're deep relationships. Uh, if you know, you can see how quickly using that influence in a manipulative way will undermine that relationship. And it's, it's in my mind, that's setting you up for kind of the classic, you uh, win the battle, but lose the war. Right. I mean, you may get what you want in this moment, yeah. but the relationship is damaged where it's going to hamper uh, your ability to be effective and fruitful over the long haul. That's good. That's good. One of the other, I think you said with parent paradoxes was the idea of deep and wide. Um, could you share some about that? Yeah, sure. So, you know, that first one, subordinate leader, everybody uh, recognized just in the term what that means. Deep and wide takes a bit more explanation. But what we really mean with that one is that, uh, remember, the definition of what we talked about is a person whose influence with others adds value throughout the organization. We talked about seeing the big picture. Wide is talking about that ability to get out of whatever your direct responsibilities are to see the bigger picture hmm. in the organization. Hmm. Deep is, is recognizing that almost every second chair leader I know has some specific responsibilities that they need to execute on a particular ministry area or ministry areas, uh, plural. And, and so making sure that you're doing that with excellence and the, that, one becomes a paradox for many people because of their own just kind of natural internal walk. Some people, some of us are more detail oriented. Some of us are more kind of blue sky, big picture oriented. Uh, and so if we're in a role that requires us to do both, there can be a tendency to gravitate towards whichever one fits, most fits our natural wiring. So if I'm detail oriented, I'll spend all of my time in the deep. Yeah. You know, executing and making sure that things get done in my specific area, and I'll forget to get up to the balcony and see the big picture. Sure. If I'm the big picture person, I want to spend all my time dreaming about the big picture, and then I don't execute well on the details 
in my specific area. Yeah. And so the, the, you know, the tension of that paradox is, is how do I recognize what my tendencies are and then, but also recognize what my role calls for, for, and, yeah, and, and really good. live into my role with excellence. Yeah, it's good. You know, another tension point for me is, has been, is I'll be in one meeting when I am leading the meeting and then, uh, you know, that Zoom call ends and I come into another meeting and then I'm the second chair in that meeting. Does that make sense? And so yeah. it's it's a shift in mindset and um, it's been a challenge for me. Is that, is, is that common or is that unique to certain organizations or any thoughts on that where you're, you know, you at one meeting? And I would imagine in church, it would be the same thing if you're leading a group of volunteers or youth ministry or whatever, and then you switch and then now you're in a meeting with the first chair the, the roles kind of change and that can all happen in like two minutes. You know what I mean? So it's not like this big gap of time where you have time to process, figure it all right. out. And uh, mentally, how, any suggestions on that? Well, honestly, the, the, uh, the big, the immediate suggestion that comes to mind is have more than two minutes between those meetings. <laughs> Very true. Very well, true. And, and, and I mean, I, I say that kind of facetiously, but it's true. Um, if, if we have, Two minutes between meetings, you know, we really, are, I mean, our minds don't even get a chance to decompress from the sure. one. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, 15 minutes between meetings lets me, you know, let's unclear out. Maybe I yeah. take a quick walk around the block or a walk around the house or whatever sure. it may be, right? And, and, yeah. then, and then I have a couple of minutes to gear up for the next meeting where I can think about what is my role in this next meeting. Mm. Um, because I think that's what the, you know, that's yeah. what it really what the essence of it is, is, it is. is yeah. just being clear, you know, what is the objective, what is the purpose of this meeting and what is the role that I need to play in this meeting? Yeah. Um, and, and if I don't have time to to start to think about that, yeah, then I'll kind of carry over either just out of my own natural personality or whatever role I was in in the last meeting. Yeah. And that's, you, you hit the nail on the head. I've just had to become very intentional about asking myself, what is my role in this? And do I really need to talk or do I not need to talk? Do I, you know what I mean? And do I need to guide the conversation or I just need to follow the conversation? Um, Cause I've gotten that wrong a lot um, and I'm not proud of it, but I am learning. So that's even West Virginia, even boys from West Virginia can learn. It takes us a while. Um, we, we do learn. Uh, we do get there. So, so as a second tier leader and a second chair leader, would you consider that the same thing or is that maybe difference or is tiers and chairs the same? Any any thoughts on that? So when you say tiers, are you talking about like on a in a more hierarchical manner, like yes. the way getting an orange chart yeah. gets drawn? Yeah. Um, there's overlap, but I would say they're not the same. I think there okay. are people that would be on the second tier. Okay. You know, let's go back to the definition: person in a subordinate role whose influence with others adds value throughout the organization. Um, there could be people in the second tier who really don't fit that definition. They're not thinking big picture. Uh, and, and so they might be on the second tier, but they're just really focused in the one in their lane and they don't want to get out of their lane. They don't want to, to uh, think about the big picture. Uh, and likewise, there could be people who are not, who are not direct reports to the first chair. So okay. not on the second tier, but who really have that mindset, uh, it's harder when you're not on that second tier to function as a second chair leader, but I see lots of people who do it and who, who still do that. Okay. And another question is, is you just talked about that. So I, 
you can have one first chair, but could you have multiple second chair? Yes. So yeah. it could be multiple second chairs. So it's not, it's not a one, two, three. And so is that common to have multiple second chairs? Well, again, I, the, the way you're asking the question focuses more on the way an organization chart gets drawn sure. and, and yeah, real yeah. hierarchical understanding. Yeah. Uh, and so I guess I would answer the question in two ways. It, it's, I don't know how common it is, but I've seen it in plenty of cases where uh, like a leadership team or an executive team, everybody around the table who's not the first chair sure. really is, is their posture in that meeting is that of a second chair leader. That's good. Right. Yeah. They're in a subordinate role. They have yep. influence. They're using it to add value throughout the organization. Uh, and so, so in that sense, it absolutely can be. And then I think the other thing that I've uh, seen people take as an application from the book and from these concepts is uh, in a really large organization, you know, and, and we'll talk hierarchy for a minute here, you know, first chair and then maybe a couple or several second chairs. And then there's a level below them and then there's a level below them and you get kind of that fourth level and someone says, well, I, I'm absolutely not a second chair when I talk about the whole organization. Hmm. But I'm very much a second chair for my department or for my ministry area or for yeah. my division. Yeah. Uh, and so the, you know, so seeing the big picture means seeing the big picture and adding yeah. value throughout the organization, throughout meaning their division or their department. Yeah. Uh, and so, so yeah, it can, so there's a couple of different ways that, that someone might identify as a second chair that goes beyond just that traditional or do you directly report to, the first chair hierarchy kind of mindset. Mike, I love how you come back to the definition and answer the questions from the definition because it provides the, the title of this podcast is the clarity podcast. And when you come back to the definition, it provides such clarity on what you're talking about and guides the conversation mm -hmm. and very insightful. So I really, really appreciate it. Okay, no, I mean, it, it is because you come back to the definition. This is what it is. Let's think about the question in on the basis of what the definition is. Really. It's, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a great, Characteristic. It's a great leadership lesson for me just hearing you talk about that part of it. Um, yeah, it's been, that's been, that's been, it's very, very insightful. So, how does ego um, impact the relationship between the first and second chair? Um, we talked a little bit about ego when it comes to humility, but any, any lessons or, or things you've seen when it comes to ego between a first and second chair? Well, I mean, it's a, it's a huge issue, right? And yeah, we did talk about it earlier because, uh, the almost any second chair that I have ever worked with could point to one and usually multiple points of time uh, when they have done a lot of the work. And mm. then the, the first chair is the one who ends up presenting it and getting at least some, if not a lot of the credit. Now, you know, ideally you want a first chair with a lot of humility and okay. they're glad to give credit uh, to the second chair. But sometimes that's just not practical. Sometimes that doesn't uh, support the the what the organization needs. And sometimes the first chair's ego is fragile enough that they don't want to get credit. Uh, yeah. So, so the ego, the humility of the second chair is incredibly important. One, the you know from reading the book, your listeners may not, that we um, we interviewed uh, about fifteen or twenty different uh, people in second chair roles just to 
said that the story was not just mine and Rogers, but really wanted to be able to <laughs> flesh out the principles with other people's stories. And one of my very favorite stories on this point that you just asked about, uh, it was a guy who was in a second chair role in a, uh, church where the first chair was his brother, which makes an interesting dynamic in and of itself, a little you know, sure. sibling rivalry. Yeah. Um, the church, this was 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago when, when the story was taking place, uh, the church was one of the ones that was on the vanguard of going multi-site, one of the early adopters of multi-site, um, okay. kind of strategies. Yeah. And the, uh, the guy in the second chair role, Jeff is his name, did all the legwork to figure out what it would look like for them to add a satellite campus and, you know, pre processing through all the decisions that, that, again, were groundbreaking at the time, you know, video or live preaching, you know, how are people going to decide which campus to go to? How do we get people to go to a satellite? You know, just all these myriad of details. I'm sure. And then the time came to meet with the leaders, leadership team, the with the lay leadership, and to present the idea, and Jeff's brother is the one who's presenting it. And Jeff said, you know, there's this moment when it just really was hard for me to sit in the back mm. and watch my brother present all of this work that I'd done. Yeah. But then, you know, God's speaking to him, and, he's and he starts to realize the senior pastor is the one who has to sell this idea to the congregation. Sure. You know, if I were the one getting up there and trying to sell it, they're all going to say, yeah, but what does my brother think? <laughs> so it, 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 it was such a novel idea that, you know, he knew it. So, yeah. the, you know, and so he ultimately says, me getting credit is a lot less important than us accomplishing what we believe that God is leading us to do. And so it's the right answer for my brother to be up there to present it. Yeah. And, uh, and I appreciate how you say listening to what God was speaking to him in that moment and uh, the moments leading up to it. And, um, and you mentioned earlier on the, in, in the podcast, the reality of it is it's not for our glory and it's for his glory and um, keeping that it's, it's, you know, that comes off the tongue really easy. Um, you know, at the same time, when you put a lot of work into something, there is, you do feel like it's part of you, you know what I mean? And, and being intentional about releasing it so that it's, you know, it, it, you're giving it to God just as we've given our lives to him. So mm -hmm. uh, great, great, great point. The paradox of contentment and dreaming. Um, how does this creative tension, uh, if you're creative and you're, you like to, you're, yeah, just share, could you share a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. The, um, so dreaming is some of us, maybe a lot of us, uh, have bought into a kind of an unspoken concept that the person who gets to do all the dreaming for an organization is the one who sits in the first chair mm. and everybody else just needs to hitch their wagon to that dream. Okay. And, you know, Raj and I really believe that the second chairs can and should dream as well, should really be listening to what God is putting on their heart for, for their own, uh, vocational calling, but also for the organization in which they're serving. And so, so there's a, so that's the dreaming side of the paradox. Contentment is sometimes those dreams might not come to fruition for years. And so how can I be content where God has placed me in this moment and yet not give up on those dreams? And, and we, you know, we go on and say, you know, if, if you lean too far just into the dreaming side of the paradox, you're going to end up uh, really frustrated and often butting mm. heads with your first year leader. Mm. Uh, 
If you lean too much onto just the contentment side of the paradox without dreaming, you can quickly slip into complacency. Okay. Uh, and so the, I think the, the genius of the end again in that paradox is hold on to those dreams, but also be content with where God has placed me right now. Yeah. Um, and it can, it can certainly be hard to do. One of the, one of the things we did throughout the book was we looked at different pictures of Joseph's story. Yeah. And, you know, of course, Joseph had a God given dream as a very young man. Mm. Uh, and he was, I would not uh, advocate for the way that Joseph uh, <laughs> talked about his dreams as a young man, right? That, we go back to the ego question that you talked sure. about a minute ago. Yeah. You know, he got into some trouble with that because his ego was too big. Yeah. Um, but those dreams did come to fruition. It just took a long, long time. And along the yeah. way, he had to practice a whole lot of contentment. Yeah. Uh, somehow making his peace with these really horrible situations that God allowed him to be placed in yeah. uh, so that ultimately those dreams could come true. Yeah. And and I think the reality of it, too, is is recognizing you, you mentioned earlier on when we bring an idea to a first year leader, you bring one and it's it's not the time. It's not you know, I mean, it, it's not right now. And it's I think it can be very easy to become bitter and angry and irritated and all those words you don't want to be defined by. Right. I don't know anybody that wants to at their funeral. They, he was irritated, frustrated, you know, you know, all those words. But I think when you have a dream, um, but like you said, finding that tension point between dreaming and not being complacent and, um, and once again, turning it over to God for, for his timing. And I think that's, that's what, and in the end of the day, I think that's what we all want anyway. So that's good for sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. One last question for you, Mike. Um, so the idea of leaving the second chair, and um, I thought that was very valuable in the book, how you talk about that um, and share when, how does that work best? When does it begin? Yeah, just some things on what works and doesn't work um, for the health of the person, um, for the second chair, the first chair, and for the organization or church that they serve. Yeah. Well, I, and I'll pick up on what uh, we were talking about just a minute ago with contentment. Um, part of the way we framed contentment and then talked about leaving uh, in that chapter in the book was from a uh, just a recognition that uh, a lot of people will, you know, as soon as they hit kind of a bump in the road, uh, they'll update, they'll they'll decide, oh, this is God's sign that I need to leave. And they update <laughs> their resume and they start looking for the next position, right? Sure. And and we at least wanted to challenge people to recognize the difference between a speed bump and a brick wall, right? You know, if you're right. going down the road and there's a speed bump ahead of you, you just slow down a little bit. You go over and you keep on with your journey. Yeah. If somebody's put a brick wall up across the road, you probably don't want to step on the accelerator and go plowing in. <laughs> um and and so leaving really is embedded in the idea of let's start with some real intentional discernment of am I just frustrated for a, a moment, uh, but God has not released me or called me to leave yet, hmm. uh, or is this really the, the a season, you know, the end of a season, the end of a chapter, and, and the start of a new one? And so I, I think that what, you know, when it starts to seem like maybe this is the time to leave, I would encourage second chairs to do is to really set aside the time for discernment, whatever that looks like for you. I mean, for some people that's, you know, taking a, a 
spiritual retreat for several days. For some people, that's uh, just sitting with it for a while. For some people, that's, you know, talking, getting the counsel of some really close, mm-hmm. trusted friends who can speak into their lives, maybe all of those. But, uh, you know, getting some time to really think through and wrestle and not just immediately hit the eject button is probably one of the most important things. And then the other thing uh, that I would always encourage the second chair to do is to think in terms of how can you leave in a way that uh, is best for you and best for the ministry that you're leaving? Um, so, you know, I ultimately left my second chair role after uh, several years after having written this book. Uh, and uh, we really quickly, uh, as I was getting clear about it, shifted in language of what will be a win-win, what will be good for the organization um, and what will work for me as I make this transition. Uh, and I think that even if, even if there are moments or and maybe some significant moments of bitter or frustration, bitterness or frustration, uh, the best kinds of leaving by second chairs are ones that end up saying, I may have had some difficult times here. I may, you know, but, but I don't want to do damage to the work that God is doing in this ministry yeah. on my way out. That's good. That's good. And a great, great challenge. Mike, it's been an honor um, to spend some time with you today. And uh, will you pray for us? We end the podcast in it's prayer. It's been an honor for me as well. Yeah. I yeah. really, really yeah, appreciate thanks. it. No, I, I appreciate it. Great. Yeah. Let me pray. Lord God, I thank you for uh, for Aaron and for this ministry and this podcast, uh, for the clarity uh, that uh, Aaron is helping leaders all around the world to have as they listen and they think about their own leadership journeys. And I pray for those who are listening uh, that you will uh, take whatever I've said, whatever Aaron has said today, that they need to hear uh, and that you'll just kind of plant those seeds deep in their souls to to ruminate on, to uh, to work with. Uh, and there will be great fruit that will be born out of that. I, I know that uh, in, in an audience scattered all around the world, there can be all sorts of different challenges and difficulties that they're facing. They, some may have amazing first-year leaders they're working with. Some may have really difficult first-year leaders they're working with. Some may feel like they're so far away from a second-year role they can't even see it. Uh, and that may be a point of frustration for them as well. And, and God, in, in all those different situations, I pray that your hand will be upon them, that you'll bless them, that you'll strengthen them, that you'll encourage them for the work that you have called them to do. And that through that, that you will be honored and glorified. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.